Let me pray for us real quick. Lord Jesus, you are high and lifted up. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. You are so, so good. Spirit, tonight I want to pray against shame. Lord, we confess that those things are not from you. And so, Spirit, would there be a felt presence in this room tonight? If we even start to feel shame, Lord, would you invade and replace that shame with conviction and peace? Peace that surpasses all understanding. So we give this to you, Jesus, and we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, y'all. I sound like Zach now. Um, (laughs) I thought Zach did a fantastic job. Oh, dude, Brent's a rock star. Thank you, Brent. Oh, man. Brownie points. That was amazing. Thank you. Uh, So Zach did a fantastic job last week setting up the series. And I have something super cool regarding kind of our series moving forward. So if you haven't seen on the Instagram, our topical series moving forward, we will actually be posting on Spotify. And so, ooh, we're cool now. We're hip and trendy. We can be like all your favorite Portland churches, New York City churches. Oh, that's supposed to be funny. It's okay. (laughs) This is helpful if you want, if you missed a week. I know we sometimes have messy schedules. If you miss a week and if you want to be caught up, this is super helpful. So go check it out if you weren't here last week. So tonight, uh, I am going to bounce off of what Zach talked about last week. We're going to be looking at a specific friendship in the scriptures, and that is the friendship of David and Jonathan. Uh, Before I do, though, I want to share two unique friendships that I believe are anointed by the Lord and that have impacted me greatly in my life. So let me start with... uh... Actually, no, I won't. So... Uh, sex is not the answer. I'm just going to be awkward straight out of the gate. I know our culture is just like, oh, dude, sex is intimacy, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's uh, somewhat kind of true, but sex is not the answer. There is a type of physical intimacy that the Lord has reserved for marriage, but there is a lie that our world likes to tell us that, okay, intimacy in all forms is reserved for marriage, so ring by spring. Am I right? Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Nothing is going to be, nothing's further from the truth there. Marriage is good, and marriage is created of the Lord. But tonight, I hope to help us see that we can have meaningful, intimate, affectionate relationships outside of marriage. So when I was in high school, I didn't know how to be a friend, uh, let alone be a friend the way that God intended. I befriended lots and lots of girls uh, with one intent. Shocker. I wanted a wife. I used to say things like, I'm on the prowl, I'm on the hunt, I'm playing the game. Side note, young men in this room, if I ever hear you speak that way about one of Christ's beloved daughters, I will literally slap you. Don't be like high school Joe. But I'm not here to share my dating idiocracy. However, my wife is my deepest friend, and so since I'll be sharing about a couple other friends, I did want to share a picture of my sweet wife. Okay, yes, I'm bawling my eyes out in that picture. And no, I'm not bawling my eyes out because I get to have sex. 
I'm bawling my eyes out because my wife is my deepest friend, and we have shared so many moments of vulnerability, mutual sacrifice, and one singular pursuit, and that is to be obedient to Yahweh. So looking back on how silly I was in high school, deep down, I actually wanted companionship. I shared the desire of Adam in the garden. Believe it or not, I am an introvert, but that doesn't mean I still desire, I don't have the desires to be in community or be with people. So when I wasn't paying attention to the raging hormones and biology coursing through me, I really just wanted somebody to know me. And I know intimacy can get thrown around a lot, and there's a lot of different definitions. I want you to remember tonight that intimacy is being known, and intimacy is to know deeply. And that is not just sexual. Are you tired of me saying sex yet? I'll keep going. <laughs> so that, that feeling, I, I think we can all, raise your hand if you've experienced that feeling of loneliness where you kind of have like a pit in your stomach or you just feel utterly alone and it's dark. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Raise it. Raise it high. Name it and claim it. Just kidding. <laughs> there you go. I've sh- I shared that feeling. And so like maybe some of you, I believed in the lie that a woman and sex would only fill that hole. But actually that feeling would go away at times. And I say this with no joking, the Lord is so faithful in his good timing. The Lord revealed the reasoning for those times when the feeling, those bad feelings weren't there. He revealed that to me when preparing for tonight's message. You see, I was a very depressed kid. I was put on antidepressants in fifth grade after a suicide attempt. Loneliness was the name of the game for me. I had friends, but what fifth grader understands deep, meaningful friendships. And you see, I didn't taste intimacy until I first came here to Red Mountain, actually. Now this brings me to those two friends I want to share about. So before we dive into the scriptures tonight, I want you to meet my best, one of my best friends, Blake. I first interacted with Blake in eighth grade. He thought I was an annoying weirdo, and I kind of was. Then we didn't talk for three years. However, the Lord began to foster a true friendship when I came here, and Blake happened to be in the small group here. The Lord began to foster something deep. What started as five-star dining, free snacks, and video games at Blake's house, it turned into something so much more meaningful. I found a brother I could be real with, I found a brother I could be affectionate towards. I found a brother I could be intimate with. There's that weird word again. You see, I experienced moments with Blake where I actually felt known. I felt genuinely loved. That hole, that pit in your stomach, however you want to describe it, that feeling, literally, I would feel flee in certain moments. And I kid you not, I could not, I could not figure that out until I started looking at David and Jonathan's friendship. I have a deep soul level for Blake. Our souls are knit together. And let me tell you something. This is important. If Blake and I weren't following Jesus and we weren't uh, consumed with being obedient to Yahweh and his will, we would not be friends. We are two very different people. He has a weird obsession with sports Um, I don't like sports. He is very easygoing and down to earth. 
and I'm not. Everything the world says about our relationship just shouldn't work. It's not transactional. Like, Blake doesn't check off some, like, financial box for me, or Blake doesn't just, like, Blake gives me himself, and that's what makes it so beautiful, and we are united in pursuing the will of Yahweh. And I love what the Psalms say about unity. Just really quick, Psalm 133 says this, blessed and how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. I love that, and I love Blake. Our pursuit of Christ is what brings us into deep intimacy together. And that cord, that knitting, they don't break easily. So yeah, you probably feel pretty weirded out. I'm a grown man standing up here talking about intimacy towards what you would say maybe a bro. And so I'm saying all this lovey-dovey language. And in a little bit, I want to see, if you feel that, what God's word has to say. I want to mention one more friend that I have very deep affection for. For. You might know her from one of our previous series, but this is Maddie. Uh, I've also known Maddie since eighth grade, but we didn't become good friends until high school. Maddie is inquisitive. She is the kind of friend that will keep you sharp. You know that passage about iron sharpening iron? For me and Maddie, dude, that is it. Maddie will ask me a million questions, and they're all deep and well thought out. But in that, I see an immense gift in her. Maddie's incredibly caring, and she's attentive to the needs of people, the specific kind of people that seemingly get overlooked more often than others. And I see in that a tangible expression and pursuit of the will of the Lord. I see obedience in that. I was one of those where I just felt outcast and weird at times. And Maddie and her family showed me some of who Christ is by the way they took me in. Even if I was just there to try and date Maddie's friends. Like with Blake, I had so many moments with Maddie where my loneliness would flee. There was no room for it to exist. And I think the Lord gave us that friendship to show each other the fulfillment that friendship can be. A deep, intimate relationship that has nothing to do with sexuality or physical attraction. Now, a very quick, brief tangent to be clear, I do firmly believe you can be good friends with members of the opposite sex if you are married. I do, however, believe in the call of Scripture to be above reproach or above accusation. And I do believe in the call of Ephesians 4.27. So it, can't, it looks slightly different when you are married. And if you want more on that, come talk to me afterwards. Or you can talk to Zach. Uh, Zach and I share a very similar approach. So that brings us to tonight's text. If you don't have a Bible, there's a card over there. Please grab one. Or, you guys are good. Look at that. I see a lot of Bibles out there. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 18. I'll give you all a second, and I'll use this opportune time to take a swig of water. First Samuel 18, verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and his belt and even his sword and his bow. 
So you, you might read that and go, whoa. That's kind of weird. But first, context. So David and Goliath just happened. We know that David was the shepherd, the son of Jesse, anointed to be the future king of Israel. That's super important. Keep that in the back of your mind. So there's this really grotesque picture of David bringing the head of Goliath to Saul. And it's like, that's really gross. But that's what happened. So uh, David and Goliath, crazy Jonathan, this guy that kind of shows up, is the firstborn son of Saul. And I want you to remember that as well. So, yes, at first Saul and David, things seem to be okay. But uh, things, as you know, maybe, things get pretty ugly later. But what this passage tells us is that this friendship is based on obedience to God's will. And I want you to think about why for a second. So we know already in the narrative that David was anointed as the future king. We can infer that Jonathan was aware of this. And do we know what that, does anyone know what that means for Jonathan as the firstborn son of the king? Can anyone tell me? If David's, if David's anointed to be the future king, what does that mean for Jonathan? He's in, yes, Jonathan is in line for the throne. Jonathan should be the king by the traditions and the history and the culture of the time. But what is Jonathan's response to David and ultimately the Lord? Jonathan acknowledges Yahweh's anointing of David. He still chooses to pursue friendship, obedience, and submission when from a human standpoint, David genuinely, not just to Saul, but to Jonathan too, was a threat. By human standards, this guy David showing up who they're talking about him being a king, that's a threat. And yet the firstborn son of the king opens himself up to being offed by David right there and then. He gives him his sword. He gives him his bow and his belt and his robe. And that says something really important to me. There's going to be three things. To experience godly, fulfilling friendships, we must be vulnerable. How vulnerable do you have to be in someone's presence to like take off your outer clothing and give this guy who seemingly you just kind of met, give him your sword and your weapons? That's really difficult for me. That's a deep level of vulnerability. But I ask you guys this, how can you be known if you don't allow yourself to be known? Fulfilling friendships require vulnerability. How can we ever experience intimacy if we aren't vulnerable? Let me read part of that passage again very quickly. There's a repetition here of, it says, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So it's okay, no shame if you read that and you went, okay, they're gay. They must be gay. Like, no one's going to talk about a brother like this. Their souls being knit. Like, come on, bro. That's actually a common, that's actually a common myth. Uh, that is a misinterpretation of not only the passage, but the language. I know we like to slap the love label on everything these days. I love coffee. I love music. I love zucchinis, whatever it may be. But we need to remember when reading this book, when reading the scriptures, they weren't written originally in 21st century English. And so to prove that point, I want to look ahead briefly to verse 16. But all Israel and Judah loved David. The original language there 
In the original language, there are different ways to describe love. And in both of these instances, in talking about the nation and in talking about Jonathan and David, the same word is used. And it is not what we would call erotic love. It is not sexual love. So did anyone ever watch Mythbusters growing up? Or was that too old? Mythbusters? Busted! Like they throw the thing on the screen. I should have done that. Busted. Myth busted. So... I want us to continue in the text a little bit. Uh, I want to give you a brief summary of chapter 20. Uh, the 20, David is starting to flee because Saul and David, things ain't looking too pretty. And so uh, essentially in chapter 20, David approaches Jonathan, his bro, his deep, affectionate best friend, and he goes, yo, dude, why is your dad mad at me? What did I do? And Jonathan's like, dude, you did nothing wrong. And not only that, not only is there, is there a genuine comfort, Saul at that point hatches a plan with David. And actually, uh, sorry, not Saul. Jonathan hatches a pl- plan with David to protect David from Saul. Jonathan puts his life on the line. He essentially rejects his own father to be obedient to God and obedient to David. That's a big deal. And so we see in this also Jonathan's humility and sacrifice. So any Lord of the Rings fans in here? Okay. Amen. I look at the relationship of Frodo and Sam, and I actually think of a very biblical friendship. So think about this. Uh, Samwise, pretty early on in their journey, knew uh, what Frodo's destiny was, if you will. He knew what Frodo had to do. Yet, who is the one who carries Frodo up Mount Doom, knowing full well it's not, he's not the one getting the glory. He's not the one anointed. Sam carries Frodo up, and he's the one encouraging him the whole stinking time to keep going. That reminds me a lot of Jonathan, because both of those dudes really seem to get the short end of the stick if we're looking at the standards of our world. Think about it. Jonathan knows David is the one to inherit the throne, but he still puts his life in danger multiple times throughout the text. For Jonathan, David doesn't check off any boxes. It really doesn't seem like Jonathan's getting a whole lot here. He's giving up his kingship. Yet Jonathan still engages in a deep, affectionate relationship. So what do we do with this? Oh, goodness. I talked about that. Hold up. Again, I want to bring this up again. To experience true intimacy, we need to practice vulnerability. When we are not vulnerable, we are putting up walls. We are actually building a dark and lonely prison brick by brick. Brothers and sisters, if there's any hope of us having deep intimacy on this side of heaven, we have to drop the act. We have to take off the mask. And so I have a question for you to be thinking about, and you'll discuss it a little bit later in your groups. How many of your friendships are based on the things not of Yahweh? Which brings me to the next thing that I think is super important that this text shows us. Friendships formed in the unity of the Lord are marked by sacrifice. What does Jesus say? There's no love greater than he who lays down his life for his friends. And think of even the example of Christ laying down his very life. And the world says the opposite. 
I have, I've had friends before where our friendship didn't last. You know why? Because I expected something out of them. I wanted them to check a box. Maybe they had money. Maybe they had a big house. Maybe they had, you name it, popularity, and I wanted to be popular. But those friendships literally became dust, and there was no meaning behind them. And I know I'm not alone in this. Being a good friend and experiencing this intimacy requires sacrifice. And I'm challenged by the sacrifice of Jonathan. Again, it wasn't, even with David and Jonathan, there was no transaction. There was submission and sacrifice on Jonathan's part. And so lastly, anything outside of a desire for God's will ultimately ends in envy and strife. I want to explain strife a little bit. We don't use that word a whole lot. Strife means deep, fundamental disagreement. If you've ever had a relationship with someone where all you do is argue and you never get anywhere, that's strife. Envy is almost jealousy, or as the Bible says, says coveting. There's a contrast in these passages. So Saul becomes incredibly jealous because... He doesn't want David to take the throne. Saul wants his own way. Saul's son embraces the opposites. The relationship shows that Jonathan, there's nothing, it's not transactional. It's not based on utility, if you will. It shows, in the example of Saul, it shows that if you don't have a desire to do God's will, it's going to be pretty bad for you. And it might be good for a season. It might give you warm fuzzies for a little bit. But ultimately, it's going to end in envy and strife. And brothers and sisters, I have experienced that so much. I have burned so many bridges. I have had so many poor friendships that I did not base out of a unifying desire for God's will. Obedience to Yahweh brings an intimacy that literally is thicker than blood. And we've seen that in the text. Again, Jonathan rejects his own father. Talk about being thicker than blood, dude. So as I mentioned earlier, I am married. Well, I haven't been married long. These few months have truly shown me the good and the bad of a deep friendship because my wife is my deepest friend. In our daily life, if we start to stray away from seeking God's will, our friendship and our intimacy literally plummets. It can be a matter of hours. It can be a matter of a few days. Envy and strife They creep in, and even though we're married, even though we might be being physically intimate, we are not actually close. We feel so lonely. When I'm not sacrificing generously, when I'm not being vulnerable, I become so lonely. We talk about wanting to be in community, right? That's such a big buzzword around, around church. I just, I left that church because I wasn't in community. Are you allowing yourself to actually be in community? Because what the Bible says about community is you have to be real. You have to confess your sins. That it requires vulnerability. And so if you're wrestling with that question even about our group, are you allowing yourself uh, to be in community? These foundations are life. It's not only talking about my marriage. It's not only talking about marriage. It talks about this is all friendships. I want to put something on the screen for us. What I see here is a mirror image, an evil mirror image. Look at what sin does. Sin causes you to hide. Sin causes autonomy or doing your own things. And sin causes taking. But true intimacy actually produces the fruits, the fruits of vulnerability the fruit of being obedient to God. 
Did not mean to put taking there. The fruit of giving and being generous. Wow. (laughs) I want to leave you with this. You are probably not good at making friends. You likely have many friendships, even with maybe others in this room, that are based on give and take. You have walls. You have moments where you do not seek to obey the will of God. And you know what? I'm sorry, but for now, that is okay. I don't want you to hear shame. You are still a beloved reflection of him who created the universe. Christ still died for every sinful moment, every broken friendship, and every selfish motive. But even in that, I do sense the Lord calling us to action. And so what is God calling you to? If you struggle with vulnerability, if you feel so alone, I remember that. But what the, what the intimacy and deep friendships of others showed me is that Christ, that prison that we built of not being vulnerable, Christ opened those prison doors. So we, as leaders, we want to help you stand up. We want you to walk out of that dark, evil place with your hands lifted to heaven. And so if you felt a stirring in any of these things tonight, I'd love you to come see me after. Come see one of your leaders. We want to pray with you. We want to be vulnerable with you. We want to sacrifice for you. You are not alone in these things. And so let me pray. And the worship team is going to finish us up tonight. God, you are good. We express our gratitude for the example, the ultimate example of friendship. Even that we see not just in David and Jonathan, but in Christ the willingness to sacrifice, the willingness to be humble. Hmm. Lord Jesus, would even now, would you give us a word, would you give us a sense of what you're calling us to? And even as we sing these next two songs, Jesus, we pray this in your good and holy name. Amen.